the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, January the 17th, 2022, in the year of our Lord. This is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. I'll come back to that in a moment. Today on January 17, 1961, President Dwight D. Eisenhower delivered his farewell address in which he warned against the, quote, acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. Today in 1917, Denver, uh, Denmark, not Denver, Denmark, ceded the Virgin Islands to the United States for $25 million. Today in 1950, the Great Brinks robbery took place. Seven masked men held up a Brinks garage in Boston. They got $1.2 million in cash. Remember, this was 1950. Now, they got $1.2 million in cash. They got another $1.5 million in checks and money orders. The entire gang was caught, but only a part. And there's different amounts. It's varying reports, but some of the reports say only a very small amount of the loot was ever recovered. Wonder what they did with that. Today in 1955, the submarine USS Nautilus made its first nuclear-powered test run from its birth in Groton, Connecticut. Today in 1997, a court in Ireland granted the first divorce in the strongly Roman Catholic country's history. Ireland. First legal divorce, 1997. Today in 2020, U.S. health officials announced that they would begin screening airline passengers from central China for the new coronavirus. People traveling from Wuhan. On this date, in 2020, you could actually say the word Wuhan in public in relationship to this new coronavirus. So they started testing people traveling from Wuhan They were checking their temperature and asking about symptoms. Now we can't even mention it in regards to Wuhan. That's what political correctness does to a nation, to a world. And there are those that get up every morning and strategize on how they can advance political correctness and its siblings on the world culture. It's an amazing time in which which we live. Rasmussen has put out a report this morning on this annual Martin Luther King Jr. holiday, they say. Only a quarter of Americans have a positive view of race relations in the country. Only 25% in America think race relations are okay. I would agree. (laughs) They're not so good. 
The latest Rasmussen report found that 25% of American adults believe race relations in the nations today are good or excellent. 75% believe they are not. I would be part of the 75%. Only 8% of those that feel that the race relations are good think they're excellent. I'm not sure who those would be, but we have a racial issue in our country today. That was reflected, of course, in Rasmussen's latest, Rasmussen's latest survey. Liberty Institute put out something this morning. I want to share a piece of it about Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. At the age of 35, Dr. King was the youngest man to have received the Nobel Peace Prize. He turned the $54,123 prize money over to the furtherance of the nonviolent civil rights movement. He was jailed for violating a law used to stop him from protesting injustice. King wrote his famous letter from Birmingham jail to seven clergymen and one rabbi while he was in jail. Dr. King was a minister like his father and grandfather. He pastored Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in Montgomery, Alabama, and Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. Dr. King pursued his dream of a colorblind society through lectures, nonviolent marches, and protests. He suffered harassment, threats, beatings, incarceration. Even his house was bombed. But he kept marching for justice, equality, not equity, but equality, and peace. In 1963, he delivered his famous I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial before thousands, tens of thousands of people. In that speech, as you know, he said, I look to the day when people will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. The speech beautifully and forcefully articulated the hopes and the aspirations of the civil rights movement as he saw it at that time. King said often, his niece, Alveda, has often affirmed, she spent a lot of time around him growing up, that his beliefs were rooted in the Bible and the Constitution of the United States. King often spoke to the church directly, to fellow pastors who would listen. Specifically, he challenged Christians to pursue both spiritual and political reform. King once said the church must be reminded that it is not the master or the servant of the state, but rather the conscience of the state. It must be the guide and the critic of the state, never its tool. If the church does not recapture its prophetic zeal, it will become an irrelevant social club without moral or spiritual authority. That in great part has come to pass since his death. He would not believe, I would guess, our state of affairs today in regards to race. The, I'm not quoting anyone with this. These are my thoughts. But today the Black Lives Matter movement has prostituted what Dr. King began and stood for. They've used it as a tool to bludgeon society, expand, expand cultural nonsense. They've used it to create a society of permanent guilt. 
expand the cultural Marxism, greatly enrich themselves, while promoting socialism with a deceptive idea of equity rather than equality. Equality is constitutional and it's biblical. Equity is not. The Constitution nor the Bible guarantees anyone equal outcome. The Bible teaches equality, equal opportunity. Jesus himself taught that. Today, we don't strive for equality in the world of the left, in the progressive, so-called. We strive for equity. It doesn't matter your merit. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how much you try. It doesn't matter how much you apply yourself. We're going to guarantee you the same, the same outcome as someone else who doesn't really give a rip about what they're doing. That is never attainable, and the left knows it. They don't look for solutions. They look for opportunities to so supposedly solve problems, but they never solve them. They seek to permanently divide the culture into the oppressed and the oppressors, not to unite it, but further divide it. Today, the voices on the left when they speak of racism, it's always in a way to enhance their agenda, extend their agenda, and enrich themselves. They've created a new religion of racism with one group entirely guilty without any possibility of redemption. They've created a systematic theology of their interpretation of social justice. They have renewed the focus on the color of one's skin, not the merit or character of that individual. That's why we are where we are today in this culture, and that's why so few people believe that racial relations are good or better or improving. It's a sad, sad situation. But there is some light that's glimmering in this culture that has been forced baptized through the Biden administration and people like him into this socialistic, Marxist, cultural Marxist kind of a messed up thinking. There are people beginning to rise to the occasion. I know I'm looking for these kinds of things to talk about. I admit that. But there is something to talk about. Most of you listening to this program don't live in Virginia. I don't think because we're not on any radio stations in Virginia, although we are on the Internet everywhere, and we do hear from people around the country now. But most of us don't live in Virginia. But I want to talk a little bit about what's happening in Virginia and what happened over the weekend. And I'm hoping and praying that it will spark just a spark of inspiration and hope in your heart to stand strong for what you believe, and more importantly, what the Bible teaches. Because the church has, to a great degree, lost its authority in the culture. I want to thank you for your support of this ministry. It's uh, It wouldn't happen without you. Deeply appreciated. These are not um, easy times for ministry and for a lot of other things, business and a lot of things are impacted by the culture and 
all. So I would encourage you to remember us. If you believe in what we're doing, if you feel it's worthy and feel that it's uh, effective, I would encourage you to remember to support us each month. We need that support in order to continue. So thank you in advance to all of you who do regularly support us. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. For those of you who are considering doing that or considering making a contribution to this ministry, thank you in advance. Please do. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. You can also go to our website, Faith and Freedom, A-N-D, Freedom, just all one word, Faith and Freedom. Dot us, not dot com or dot net or something else. It's dot us like United States dot us. Virginia took a right turn this weekend. Well, they actually did at the voting box in November, but it became official over the weekend. They took a right turn with prayers and promises and actions. In fact, with prayers and promises and passion and chance of USA Today and a military flyover, the state of Virginia, which gave America 12 founding fathers and four presidents among them, they gave us a close-up look at what progress, quote-unquote, really looks like. We're always hearing about progress. Every time Biden gets put in a corner, he lives in a corner, but actually when the press, I should say, is allowed to ask him a question, He'll always get around to saying, we're making progress. Jen Psaki uses the word progress in every sentence. But wallowing in the blue melees of Democrat leadership in recent years, the state decided to break with the so-called progressives, who are always making progress, and embrace the founding principles and the political leaders who have embraced, have promised to embrace those same principles in their leadership. Kind of like the founding fathers. The new Republican leadership, the governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general were sworn in on Saturday. It was a big deal. There's a thread of hope in this for every conservative who lives in a blue state. Do you know anyone who's conservative that lives in a blue state? Mm-hmm. So do I. The day began with prayer, a lot of prayers. Prayer breakfast at 8 a.m. in the morning, public prayers during the day with citizens of Virginia. Each of Virginia's new top leadership is said to be deeply religious. They have said that they are. They are committed to the Lord. Interesting. I've heard some of their comments. I don't know any of them, but I've heard some of their comments about their personal faith in God. I've been inspired and encouraged, and I believe it was legitimate. In fact, the governor, the new governor, he told the story recently, Yunkin. He said, when I first approached him, well, he's been very successful in business. He was uh, in investment, worked for an investment corporation or something. He's worth several hundred million dollars. But he's deeply committed to the Lord from all of the comments I've heard him make. He said when he first approached his wife, both were born and raised in Virginia. He said when he first approached his wife about running for political office, he said he felt God had been speaking to his heart to do so for all the reasons we know. And he said he approached his wife and she said, he said, are you with me? And she said, yes, as long as you'll make Jesus, keep Jesus at the center of our campaign and your tenure in office. So I would say they're pretty committed to have that husband-wife conversation going in. 
But the day began with a lot of prayers, public prayers, private prayers, prayer breakfast. Each of Virginia's new top leadership is deeply committed to the Lord, according to their own testimony. They're also deeply qualified for the office to which they've been elected. Governor Youngkin went to work yesterday, I mean, on, on Saturday, the day he was, the day he was uh, inaugurated. Following the inauguration, he got straight to work. He issued 11 executive orders, as he had promised to do. Youngkin said to the press, he said, it's day one and we're going to work just like we promised. He directed an end to the divisive concepts, including critical race theory and all public education in the state with his first executive order. He further made good on a promise to parents with his second order by empowering them, the parents, in their children's education and upbringing all by all allowing them to make decisions on their children, including whether they want their kid to wear a mask or not. He said, I'm not anti-mask. He said, I'm just saying I'm not the one to make that decision, and neither is state government. The parent is supposed to raise their child and make decisions for their children, even masks, but a whole raft of other things that parents should be making the responsibility making the responsible decisions for, and they have been they have been pushed out of the arena. You'll recall that, that I talked about that on this program in regards to Virginia. It was horrible. They reached the tipping point, and this is the result of that. This, the new governor, Yunkin, he said in Virginia, it's clear under the law that parents have a fundamental right to make decisions for their children's upbringing, their education, and their care. He said, we're providing them the ability to make right decisions for their child with regard to their child's well-being. His fourth order of the day was directed at keeping his promise to investigate the recent sexual assault case in Loudoun County. Remember that? I talked about it a number of times on this program because it was it, it was horrible and it was national news. The Loudoun County public schools over the past several years have gone crazy to the left. And no wonder, because Northam, the governor, was a is a medical doctor. Remember him? I talked about it on this program about a year or two ago, maybe. He was on WTOP, which is a big radio station uh, out of Washington, D.C., but it covers most of northern uh, Virginia, which is just across the river, as you know. And he was on there explaining, as a medical doctor, the governor, former governor of Virginia, how that doctors take extra care to treat a baby that is birthed while the mother decides whether she wants to abort that child or not. I'm not overstating this. If anything, I'm understating it just for your sensitivities. But he, he said they make the child comfortable. The doctor and the, the mother has a conversation and they decide that if the mother decides she wants the baby aborted, then it, w- it will be. And the baby's laying there on a table comfortably, he says. This is a medical doctor and former governor of the state. That's how f- bad it got there. And finally, the people said, we've had enough. Democrats voted for Republicans. Progressives, who thought they were progressive till they were taken beyond the pale, voted for some of these Republicans who are now in office. We've talked about that. Recently, a boy claiming to identify as a girl raped a girl in a girl's restroom at one of their schools in Loudoun County. He had 
previously done the same thing in another school in the same district. The school board, or at least the, the board chairman, knew about this. But they never told the public, they never told the parents, and they didn't even tell the schools, apparently. Young had said there is one fundamental tenet between government and those who serve to keep them safe. And when it comes to our children, it is paramount our school systems live up to that value. He said, what we see here is strong, strong, strong evidence that in fact has not only not taken seriously, it was hidden. And so we have asked the Attorney General to go to work. We are getting we're going to get full transparency and make sure that we hold this school board accountable for the decisions that were made. This new governor, Yunkin, he also said, quote, I do believe there has been a dereliction of duty, so all actions in order to hold this school board accountable should be taken. The new uh, attorney general, he also went to work immediately, kind of shook the news media over the weekend. They were stuttering as they were trying to report this to their full advantage. The new state AG, Jason um, Mieres, I think is the way you pronounce it. That's a Spanish name. I happen to kind of have seen that name before, and it has several tra- ways of, 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 uh, of pronouncing it. It's from Spain. It's an area in Spain, and there's a lot of people with that Mieres uh, name, and I think that's the way he pronounces it, but it's pronounced different ways. But anyway, we'll call him Jason Miaris. He is from a Cuban descent, but their roots are, their family roots are from Spain. But anyway, he's really a sharp guy, kind of a Rubio type. But anyway, he said during the campaign, it was made clear that now Attorney General-elect Miaris and former Attorney General Herring have very different visions for office. He told the local news We're reconstructing the office as every incoming AG has done in the past. He fired 30 staff members, 17 of whom were attorneys. Just, you're fired. You're out. Goodbye. It needed to happen because they were so so entwined in all of this malaise of junk that the left has been putting the nation through. I mean, it was a microcosm. Virginia had become a microcosm of San Francisco or California, whatever. Washington, Oregon. The former AG, Herring, he spent the day bemoaning the loss of those who were fired. He, he did. He was almost like he was it was like a funeral or something. He said these dedicated and professional public servants who do important work. He said their absence will be a significant loss to the mission of the Office of Attorney General. Well, what's apparently lost on these people is not only in Virginia, but across our country, is that not everyone shares the radical left's quote-unquote mission. We have a little bit different mission in mind, and people are beginning to stand, not violently, not even angrily, but just stand. Cast their vote, do their work, whatever they are able to do, Taking higher office alongside Yunkin was Lieutenant Governor Winsome Earl Sears, the first black woman elected to statewide office in Virginia. This is what MLK was talking about. He had a dream. He saw stuff like this happening. It should happen without fanfare, but it doesn't. The left has seen to it that there cannot be peace between the races because it's not to their advantage 
as they enrich themselves and empower themselves. Jesse Jackson, all of these guys have done this, and now Black Lives Matter has become the vehicle. The two Marxist lesbians who started the Black Lives Matter, they've sucked in millions of people and hundreds of millions of dollars. They're not trying to help racism. Not at all. They're trying to advance an agenda. They said themselves, they, these are their words, we are trained Marxists. That's not what MLK was talking about at all. This first woman of color to hold statewide office in the Commonwealth, she said, America is not systemically racist. She said, I am the embodiment of what America hopes to accomplish. She went on to say this, quote, I am so tired of those who look at life as being a glass half empty with a negative way to continue to view life because, you know, life is going to hit you hard and you have to be prepared for it. She said, you come out of the womb screaming. You ought to be in, that ought to be an indication of how things are going to be. The rich suffer, yes. The poor suffer, yes. And everybody in between. But we can make it. She said, that's my view. That's my worldview. And she professes to be a very devout Christian. 57-year-old Sears, she immigrated to the U.S. from Jamaica when she was six years old. She served in the Marines, had a career there before launching her political career. And as I said, she says she is a deeply committed Christian. Things have dramatically changed in Virginia. Some people are still getting over being stunned. They thought they had everything locked down for the secular progressive agenda, but they didn't. Democrats have been using their power to usher in policy changes like legalizing marijuana to the death penalty and everything in between. But there will be resistance to Youngkin's agenda. There's no question about that. But former Governor George Allen, who was beloved by most Virginians, he spoke about this and he over the weekend he said it's he's confident. He said Youngkin will succeed in many areas. He said with you'll find some Democrats who will support him on his political agenda and certainly his social agenda. As these new leaders were sworn in on Saturday, it was chilly in Richmond. A snowstorm had been predicted. It was approaching, threatening to be the first challenge, really a big snowstorm of this new administration. It didn't arrive until later. Youngkin reminded me a little bit of Ronald Reagan, a younger version, but a little bit. He stuck with the upside, the sunny side. Morning in Virginia. He didn't say that, but that's what he reminded me of. I paid attention to his speech. He told the state and the country, he said, Today we stand together on behalf of Virginians who never lost faith, even when they've suffered a loss, of Virginians who have not stopped dreaming of a better life, even in the midst of trials and tribulations. My fellow Virginians, the spirit of Virginia is alive and well, and together we will strengthen it. What had been a steady march to the left had suddenly been halted and reversed. The power has been taken from the Democrats and the progressives, so-called, in the most powerful seats in the state and handed to conservative and, to their own testimony, Christian Republicans. It can happen. It happened in Virginia. It could happen in other radical left states. And it all comes down to this. James Madison, himself a Virginian, he said, we have staked the whole future of the American civilization, not on the power of government, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves, 
according to the Ten Commandments. Oh, yes, the Ten Commandments of God, he said. That's what it all comes down to, self-reliance, except under God. Thanks for being with me today. I'll see you right here tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.